I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. James, uh, it is almost April. It is for some reason hailing outside. It's just just a great great time to be alive when it's hailing in March. Yeah, I I don't know, Jonas. I've just given up all expectations that in Ontario we're going to have any weather that's worth a damn because you know it's like twenty degrees where I grew up, and then I I have to put up with this every year. This is always my least favorite time of the year because it's always so nice where I'm from, and it's always miserable here. Yeah, it's very gloomy, but the good news is we're recording this on Wednesday. On Thursday, it's going to be really warm. And then I think we're in the, we're smooth sailing, no more snow. Uh, I, don't I know. think. I'm not, I ain't taking the snow tires off yet, so that's what. All right. So like, I'm looking at the forecast, Friday, Saturday, low minus one. Like they could, they could sneak some snow in there. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> All right. Well, we were supposed to have uh, our buddy CJ on today. Uh, we're going to have to reschedule that for next week. So... Should we save all those questions for next week or should we answer some of them? Well, and then I think re- we can answer some of them and then, yeah, we should. Okay. Some people had, I don't know. <laughs> okay. We're going to, we're going to, there were good questions. So we could even throw some of them at Chris next week, even if we answer them because we like them or whatever. Chris is yeah. down at the the GM meetings in Florida and uh, traveling today and it just, it didn't time out. So he, he promises he'll be here next week. All right. Well, we do have a lot to discuss. There's a lot on the schedule today on my schedule. Um, we'll get to the pod bag, as you mentioned, we will talk about, uh, should I, I'm trying to decide, should I go in reverse order? Should I just, well, we'll talk about the goaltending. Obviously there's, there's a situation. Why don't we, uh, I suggest we talk about some of the stuff that, that went down in the game against Boston. Well, we are James. That's, I got, well, you don't have the schedule. Sorry. That's that's my bad. I mean, off the top. Yeah. That's, that's on the schedule, James. I'll read you the schedule. The wins over Florida and Boston. The Matthews 50 slash franchise record chase. Peter Mrazek in the goaltending. I want to talk about Mark Giordano and the defense. Obviously, there's some injuries that have cropped up. We'll talk about the way things have been going at forward with some of the line combinations. And we'll talk about, you know, Wayne Simmons, fourth line, Nick Abruzzese. So there's a lot to get into, James. But let's start with the last couple games. Lee's beat. Florida, second half of back-to-back. And then they go into Boston and they they handled the Bruins. What were your impressions from those two? Those are big divisional wins, obviously. 
Yeah, it's funny, you know, you lose to Montreal and then you beat Florida and Boston in the next two games and predicting what this team is going to do is is really, really difficult. Did you see that that stat that Dom had in one of his pieces that when the Leafs are the are really heavy favorites, they have the worst record of any team in the league when they're when they're a heavy favorite? Like it just it's it, Yeah, he showed me that a few weeks ago actually. We've We've talked about this for years, but just like anecdotally, it always felt like the Leafs played down to their opponents and like, so maybe what so you wait, want- can I stop you there? Yeah, I, I'm not. Sh- I, I think there's a. I think there's some truth to that. I also think this year a lot of those games, like there have been extenuating circumstances in some of those games. But continue. Go ahead. Well, it's just weird that like I can't remember the time frame that Dom had on his chart. It's just weird that the Leafs lose so much when they're the heavy, a super heavy favorite. Like it's just what a. What an odd, I know what you're saying, like the Montreal game, like they have like 51 shots or whatever, and somehow they lose that game. Like watching that game, they were all over them, but maybe it's just the 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 leafiness of everything that they just, those are the games they decide to lose. But it feels like though, Jonas, where I was going with that is that when they play important games against good teams, that they, they play hard and they play well and they get up for those games and... I don't know if there's like a psychological factor or if we're just reading too much into it. And there's not that many things that connect teams from like three or four years ago that did the same thing to this team now. Like there just aren't that many players that are the same, but it, it just, that's, that's what I came away feeling from, from the last three games is that you lose the game against one of the worst teams in the league and you win the game, the two games against two of the best teams in the league that are in your division. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at the schedule and, and some of the games that they played against good teams. So they beat Florida and Boston. Uh, they lose to Nashville, who's okay. They beat Carolina. They, let's see here, who's good. They beat Minnesota. They lose to St. Louis. They beat Pittsburgh. They lose to Calgary. They beat Carolina, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, so there's, there's, and obviously there's some bad losses in there. The two to, the two to Buffalo, like there are extenuating circumstances in those games. Like obviously the goaltending was bad. One of those games is outdoors, but they did not play well you in, should in still those games. Buffalo though, right? Like, yes, you should still beat Buffalo. It just seemed yeah. like they come into those games like, man, whatever, but it's Buffalo. Like that's just what the team looks like. They don't look like they're going to just like destroy Buffalo. So I guess the question is like, it's hard to know if this is a leaf thing or if this like obviously it is because of the stat you mentioned but i wonder if if we were watching tampa every night like tampa had struggled until recently if if we would spot some of these same things we're like man did they just lose to blank anyway well uh, yeah i think that there's like a lot of randomness and teams lose to any team any given night and but it just I don't know. It was. It's just interesting that Dom's stat like backed up what it, the way that it's felt. Where the Leafs, especially when they're really heavy favorites, for some reason they drop the ball frequently. But they did not feel like in that Boston game. You, I mean, you've been to so many of those games. There was like a, an aura of like intimidation that you could feel in some of those games that they seemed to be intimidated. They didn't feel intimidated in that game on Tuesday. Like it just seemed like they just felt like the better team and just went in and won. Mm -hmm. Yep. I would agree with that. Yeah. And Boston's had such a good season that, you know, Swayman's had a really good year and they chased him and yeah, I think, you know, they go in with a completely identical record, same wins, losses, overtime losses. And you're right. They, they just looked really really good like they look like a team on a different level but you know could be they could have caught boston on a bad night yep 
Also true. Well, and, and like we pointed out before, they would be higher in the standings if their goaltending hadn't been what it, what it's been. And that kind of leads us into uh, the situation with Peter Mrazek. Obviously, Eric Schalgren plays most of that game. So that's like a little, I don't know, asterisk attached to that game circumstance with that game but man james it's like it's it's nuts the way this season has gone for peter mrazik so he signs a three-year deal he gets hurt in his first start he misses i think 17 games let's see if i got that right i think it's 17 games he comes back and i he he makes one start and then he gets hurt again mm-hmm. actually he missed six games the first time and then this time he misses 17 he comes back he doesn't play well. They place him on waivers. Nobody claims him. Then he, he comes good. out of waivers. Then he plays good. And then, like, I don't know. I don't have the exact time in front of me. Like halfway through the first period of his third straight start, where he's playing well, another groin injury, and now it's like, what? This is insane. Like the way his season's gone. I correct me if I'm wrong, but watching the game. <sighs> Sometimes when a goalie gets hurt, you can see like they had to make like some sort of a save or something like that one. I can't, he, it didn't seem like he had to do anything. Like there was no, he just was hurt, like not really exerting himself, which feels concerning to me. Well, it looked, they showed on the broadcast what happened the first time in that Ottawa game. And it kind of looks similar where it's just like, he just makes a movement or it looked like he make a mo- made a movement and then something immediately is wrong. And like like we've talked about before, when these issues first started coming up, groin issues are like, I don't know, like they can just keep coming back and back and back. And obviously, they took a lot of time with the last one. But now it's like, are they, are they going to get him back? Like, how long is he going to be out? Um, there's not that much time left in the regular season. Yeah, I would suspect it's at least a month. So then all of a sudden, you're getting into the playoffs. And, and you know, this is gonna, everyone's going to want to relitigate the, the trade deadline and not getting a goalie and... We can talk about Harry Sateri again. And <laughs> <laughs> Has he played yet for Arizona? I haven't looked. No, he hasn't. No. Harry and the Hendersons. I don't even <laughs> like know why the Coyotes really wanted him. Like, aren't they? Well, they needed another goalie, right? I guess. Can't, couldn't they just, like, they got some, some guys down in the minors that they, they like. But what what's kind of scary is, like, Jack Campbell is just coming off a rib injury. And you're, like, one thing from Jack Campbell from having, like, a crisis but i guess like what can you do like that's yeah can you imagine uh, if i mean i don't want to like put any bad juju or anything on but imagine jack campbell gets hurt again like what you go into the playoffs with michael hutchinson and chagrin it's it's, they're gonna have to be really careful with jack campbell um and like you were you were texting me last night during the game like chagrin's gonna have to play a bunch here because of that like they gotta be really careful too right like there's lots of games still Yes. There's a month left and how many, what do they have? 16 games left? Like that's, that's yeah. a lot of hockey to cram in. And I, I, did you, I sent you the link, but did you see who played for the Marlies last night? I never <laughs> yeah. even heard, I never even heard of the guy. I had not either. His name's like Talor or something. Yep. It's getting, uh, it's getting interesting. He, he played for Trinity Western, which is like a small university in BC, I believe is the team he was playing for. Do you do you believe anything? I, I can't remember. Actually, I do remember who told me this. Um, do you think there's anything to the fact that whether it's Jack Campbell, whether it's Frederick Anderson, that there is something beneficial when you just know you're the guy? Like Jack Campbell has that stretch 
when Mrazik's out, Mrazik come, comes back. I don't know if the two are related, but do you think there's anything to that fact? And now, like, Mrazik's out and Campbell just knows, like, it's his crease basically again? I don't know. I mean, I think probably for some goalies, there's something there. But the thing, too, is, is that goalies are just... They're just hard to predict and they kind of have ebbs and flows and there's ups and downs and like that's the key. You look all around the league and that's happening all over the place. Like sometimes you, you can make the opposite argument like Minnesota gets flurry and then all of a sudden Talbot starts playing really well, right? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. like the, pressure, the pressure's on him. It's like, you know, they replace him, but then he plays so well that it's like, well, now we got two good goalies and that's that's where you want every, that's where you want the tandem to go is that they're they're kind of like challenging each other and playing hard. Yeah, and I guess the the good thing is, like, I remember our first reaction or my first reaction to when Chalgren played, I just didn't like how quickly, not fans, and I want to, like, stress that it wasn't fans, it was media were just, like, jumping to conclusions about, is this guy the answer? And it's like, relax. But the good thing with Chalgren is he doesn't is he look like... <laughs> no, but, like, he doesn't look like a disaster in there. You know what I mean? Like, he, he does have... No. He's not like flopping around. Like he, he's very anti-Peter Mrazek in terms of his style. Well, I talked to his, one of his coaches over in Sweden for that story that we did, uh, Joshua, Joshua Cloak and I did on, on Chalgren. And I encourage people to go look that up at, at The Athletic. Um, no, you and, and I did that. Was it you and I? Yeah, it was you and I. Oh, okay. For, I, oh, yeah, right. Well, I got confused. Yeah, because Cloak did one on Chalgren earlier in the season. He did, That's yeah. right. That's That's right. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work. <laughs> um, but you know what? What the goaltending coach said about Chagrin was that what made him stand out is that just he's just like really a technically sound goalie. Like there's nothing that's super flashy. He's just like really learns the manual really well and works really hard and like is just he he'll make the really simple save every time and he goes into every game and every save with kind of a game plan and a thought of the best way to to make the save and you can see it like he's he's positionally there for the first shot almost all the time and the, the stuff that's beating him it's like you know a deflection in front that he might he probably doesn't have that acrobatic second save the way that you know you see like Jack Campbell make sometimes but <laughs> you know, I from what I've seen of Shogren so far, I think that he can be a, a solid backup in the NHL is what I would say. Yeah, and to Cloak's credit, he was telling us that that's what he thinks is possible, maybe even next year. Um, you know what it reminds me of, James, just how you're, you were talking about it? It kind of reminds me a little bit of like the quarterback... And I know you're not a, like a huge NFL fan, but it's it's like the quarterback who's not he's not going to win you the game, but he's not going to lose you the game. Like he's not going to make this this crazy throw over the middle that's going to get picked and, and like pick six. He's just going to make like the simple throws. You, you're not really going to ask him to do that much, but he's going to make the throws he needs to make. And and that's kind of how Shalgren feels uh, to me. I think that there's there's you can make, you know different teams need different kinds of goalies and. If you're a team that doesn't give up a lot of, you know, like I don't know if Shogren would be the best on, say, like a two-on-one with a pass going across or, you know, like he's, he, he doesn't seem to have the acrobatics that some other goalies have. But no, if, if you're a team that limits that, which I don't know if the I would say the Leafs are, but if you're a team that limits that, then he might be more effective for you. So, James Punch, our producer, just sent us this note. Uh, NHL player safety has fined Taylor Hall $5,000 
for roughing Ilya Labushkin. Obviously, he basically just punched him in the head. That's a five thousand dollar fine, but like a cross check, that's that's two games. I don't anyway. That'll that'll learn him, Jonas. He'll never do it again. No, he'll never do it again. You can't cross check someone to the head, but you're allowed to punch them. Although he did get a penalty. Um, We should talk about Austin Matthews. He's creeping up on 50, 49 now. Austin Matthews Um, is good. Good player. Yeah, good player. Good good scorer. End of segment. Um, I think what's interesting, James, is his career is kind of unwound, is how many different ways he scores now. And that this is not like a new thing, but it's like a newish the last two and a half seasons, three seasons. Yeah, he can even score empty netters from his own end. <laughs> yeah, well, remember early in his career, like he never had any empty netters. Um, but like he, in the beginning, it was like he, he I guess he did score in, in different ways, but it was more like just the wrist shot. And now it's like he scores in every which way. Obviously, that's a rebound goal. It's it's just been interesting to watch how he's evolved as a scorer. Like it, it's forty two goals now in the last forty four games, which is just fucking nuts. Yeah, I find almost that it's. I don't know. It's almost like taken for granted now or something because he, he's it like absolutely scored, is. he scored at this crazy rate. I was thinking when as he closed in on fifty and oh, watching the game against Boston. And remember when Kessel used to hit like 30 goals or like 34 goals? And I remember like writing stories about it and like, oh, he's yes. the first guy that had 34 goals for the Leafs since like yada, yada, like it had been so long. And, you know, and Kessel is a great scorer, but like Matthews is completely obliterating anything that Kessel ever did for the Leafs. Yeah, well, Kessel never scored 40. And no. now Matthews gets 40. Like it's easy. Like James, I just like his his 82 game pace is 66 goals. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, trust me, I know what the pace is. Yeah, you're all <laughs> over the pace, and it's not like James. Like the funny thing, like it's not like this is like obviously it's not like a shooting percentage thing. He's shooting seventeen point seven percent. Like it's not for him. That's like hum ho or whatever that saying is. Humdrum, hum ho, ho hum, hum. Ho, ho hum, or humdrum. Either one of those. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, yeah. So I don't. Uh, it's it's like he's gonna break the franchise record and. Do you remember when uh, when Matthews first came into the league, like the first 30 games, and there was the big line A Matthews debate? Yes, I remember that. Yeah. It was, it was like right when we we launched The Athletic in Toronto, and one of the very first stories I ever did was comparing line A and Matthews. And I went back and I looked at that, and you know, it, I, I pointed out all the reasons why Matthews was, was the better player. Um, but... You know, at the end of the story, it's like, you know, Matthews has such a good shot. He's got the makings of being a 40-goal scorer every year. And then you look at where he is now. And, like, I think the thing, too, that sometimes we don't appreciate is the narrative around Matthews, like, when he was drafted and everything, was he was going to be a good player. I don't think anyone was predicting he was going to be – he was going to change the game maybe is a little bit too far, but just, like, be what he is. Like, he has the potential to be – one of the most special players in this generation of, of players. And, you know, when he was drafted, I think people were talking to him about him in the same vein as, I don't know, like a Kopitar was one guy that was mentioned or like a Rick yeah, Nash. Yeah, I remember was one. Yeah. Um, you know what you're right, James? Because like there wasn't like the Connor McDavid, like you hear about this guy for years. No. Like wait till this guy comes along. That wasn't his story. That wasn't yeah. his story. Yeah. Like he... 
Matthews was, because he's from Arizona, you know, it was a little bit later for him. But I remember talking to Mark Crawford, who was coaching him in Switzerland before before the Leafs drafted Matthews. And the things Mark Crawford was saying about Matthews is like, what? Like, he was saying that, I'm trying to remember who he compared, like, he was saying his shot was like, like he's like, he's a, a center that can shoot really well, like Joe Sackick, or like, he was comparing him to these players, and it's like, what? That doesn't sound... But, you know, Mark Crawford was right. Like, he, he was saying basically he's like, he's a good defensively, he's big, he's strong, he can shoot unbelievably well. You know, he made him sound like, I don't know. It sounded to me almost like kind of like a Stamkos or something like that. And and he yeah. was right. You know, and I remember when I published that story and people were like, oh, yeah, you're comparing this like 18-year-old kid to like Joe Sackick or whatever. But like, you know, there's parallels there with the way that he shoots the puck. Well, I remember asking Brendan Shanahan, I think... Um, like if they knew after they won the lottery, who, if they knew who they're going to take. And like, I, I think I remember him like kind of <laughs> smirking knew. and being like, well, yeah, knew. like basically, I don't remember what he said. I can't remember if he said like, we're going to talk about it, but like, it was like he, he, they already knew, like it wasn't even a debate because like at the time you're right, like it was like a conversation. I don't know how legitimate it was, but it was a conversation. Well, the more people I talked to around Matthews and in the hockey and whatever, like the people that really knew how how good he was or knew they knew he was the best player like they and and the thing too is if you look back at like what he did in Switzerland at his age it's ridiculous like he, I, th- I think he outscored like like when remember when Rick Nash went in his prime over to Switzerland in that one lockout year and played there like I'm pretty sure Matthews at 18 had, had scored more goals per game in Switzerland which is a good league than uh than Rick Nash did in his prime and Rick Nash was a pretty good player yeah well, do you buy, uh, I did overdrive the other day and Hayes was basically arguing that he kind of needs to win the rocket to win the heart. I don't, I don't buy that. I could see voters thinking that way. I just don't see the logic in that. I think that Matthews needs 60 goals and to w- be the leading goal scorer to get it. Yeah. Okay. So I, you agree it, with him. I don't, yeah, I don't. I th- well, it's just, I, it's just about like voter psychology, right? Like I think. People often look at who has the most points in the league, and that player gets a lot of votes for the Hart Trophy, like regardless of who it is. They always do. So they're going to yeah, look so at... so that player is Connor McDavid, and he is, at the time of this writing... He's going to be quite a ways 13 ahead. points ahead of Matthews. There's he's also be, played five more games. There's going to be people that, that vote for McDavid on the basis of, of the point total. For sure. For sure there is going to be. I think what helps Matthews is that he's at least in the top five in, in point totals. Yeah, so Drysaddle's right there behind Matthews. I mean, Drysaddle's having an incredible year. I, I do think that, yeah, he's going to have to win the Rocket. And not only that, Jonas, I think he might need like a little bit of separation. There's going to be, I've said this before in the show, I think there's going to be a little bit of like anti-Leaf. We'll see. Yes. We'll see. We'll see how the voting goes. But I think there's going to be, it wouldn't even shock me if there's people that have him like fifth on their ballot or even, some people might not even have Matthews on their ballot, which is seems ridiculous. But Well, I've seen some of the, the tone of the, the, people out west who think even having a conversation that Matthews is the best player in the league is like folly which is just insane like I like it's a conversation I I'm not saying he is I think well actually I am I think he is the best player in the league right now but to like just brush it off and say like it's only McDavid and that's like it's not a conversation is ludicrous anyway yeah, but there's like all kinds of other things that go into all of that. And we can get into Western alienation and all that whenever you want a, hist- <laughs> whenever you want a history lesson because I'm well-versed in all of it. 
All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the defense, and then we'll take a break, talk some forward stuff, and then uh, we got to get into the pod bag. Uh, so, Labushkin, I mentioned with the Taylor Hall thing, we don't know his status. The Leafs are not practicing today, so we won't find out until Thursday. But on Justin the Hall, side, the, pod, the podcast won't be outdated. So True. Uh, Justin Hall left the game, was bleeding from somewhere. We don't know his status either. Um, but I think I want to start with, with Giordano. We've had four games, a huge sample. We can just declare what's going to be after four games, I think. He's looked really good. Like, he's what I, when I thought about the acquisition at the time, this is kind of what I imagined. Like, he he's basically doing what good Jake Muzzin used to do. To me, I would say he's he's better than what I was picturing because you know I said this on another podcast and it pissed some people off. But you know I had I had people with other teams that were like, "Oh, Giordano's like slowed down a lot. He's just like he can't move the way that he used to," and they didn't know how effective he would be. But that hasn't been a problem so far. I mean, he's he looks really really good. There have been like moments where you can see a little bit of that. Uh, like there was a play in the Boston game where it's like he kind of has to like cross over and it's it's a rush play. Yeah, but he's so smart and he's so crafty with his stick and like it's gonna be positioning it, and things like that. Yeah, it's, it's positioning it, and there's no panic in him. It's interesting in some ways. He's sort of like Brody, right? Yeah, like they played together is. for so long, but they they have a lot of similarities as players. And you know what's interesting about him, James? Like he feels bigger than he actually is. He really isn't that big. And neither, especially when you see him without skates, neither is Brody. Brody. Yeah. Isn't Brody like one of the lightest guys on the whole team? Like, and I yeah, don't he's think 178 he, pounds, I believe. I don't know if he's that small, but like he Brody's, is, I'm pretty sure Brody's quite light and you don't see it on the ice. Like it does not, like I think more, you had something about the size of the defense a couple yeah. of weeks ago, right? People were like, oh, I can't believe Morgan Riley's 220. And then, and then Brody is whatever he is. I, th- I thought he was like a 185 or something like that. He's 179. Yeah, so like I got in front of me, you know. And the thing that I remember we did when we did the profile on Brody that his his friends and stuff like he's not a guy that spends a lot of time in the gym and everything. He's just that's just not his game, you know. And he's always been small, but on the ice, I wouldn't say Brody looks really small. No, no, and and like you don't feel like it's interesting because he's basically I'm looking at it right now. He's not that much bigger than than Sandine. Like he's he's just a little taller. That's basically it. They're basically mm. the same weight. And yet we think of Sandine as that's one of the things that he's going to have to figure out is like how to acquit himself against bigger players, you know? And you don't think of that with Brody, even though he's like more or less the same size. Yeah. I don't know. Brody just seems to be able to like win a lot of those battles and like you don't see him getting out muscled. And I guess he's got that strength from the farm or so. I don't know what it is, but. But it's but, like, James, now, like, you think ahead, like, to the playoffs, and it's like, now they have, like, I was thinking of it because it was a story in the NFL. With, uh, I think the Cleveland Browns basically said they wanted, like, an adult for their quarterback, <laughs> something like that. And I was thinking about it with this defense, and, like, not, it's not, I don't mean to disparage, but it's like, they've got a bunch of, like, adults on their defense, like, guys they don't really have to, like, be nervous about suddenly. You know what I mean? Yeah, you calling him, like, the Muzzin replacement is is perfect because it. We knew that this acquisition was going to take pressure off Muzzin. I would say even more so now with the way Giordano's played because yeah, 
you know, Giordano can be this the rest of the way. Like they can play him 20, 21, 22 minutes. He's not going to be. And, and he, the, the way Logren looks playing with him as well is they're going to have a hard, yeah. they're going to have a hard decision. I mean, assuming that Justin Hall and Labushkin are okay, uh, you know, they're going to have a hard decision who sits game one of the playoffs. Yeah, they absolutely are. And, and it's, it's, it, I think what's appealing to them potentially is they can have now three pairs that, you're, you're less worried about who they play against. You know what I mean? Whereas before, like I, I just looked back to all these defense cores that they had in previous years. And it's like, they always had like a couple spots that you're like, Ugh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like even going back to like, was, was 1920 CC. Yeah. Like the 20 playoffs, like they started the playoffs and their defense was, I think Riley and CC were together to start the playoffs. Yeah. It, yes. That didn't, that didn't work out for them. These were their pairs, James, in, in the 20 playoffs. Riley, CeCe, Muzzin Hall, Dermot, Barry to start the playoffs. And then, good news, Muzzin gets hurt. Yes, and then it becomes <laughs> Riley, CeCe, Dermot, Hall, Marinchin, Barry. Marinchin, Barry, yeah. Oh, I, baby. I think everyone's turned off the podcast to have... Uh, Take a have shot? S- have some sort of seizure or something. <laughs> PTSD flashbacks. It's like they were in Nam again. Uh, well, let's take a break and then let's get into the forwards and then we'll get into some pod bag questions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James. Uh, the forward units are in some flux. Um, obviously, they have broken up for the time being. John Tavares and William Neander. Tavares has been playing with Mikheyev, with Pierre Engvall, or not with Pierre Engvall, with Alex Kerfoot and Mikheyev, and Pierre Engvall has been playing with Nylander and David Kampf. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Are you different? I think it makes sense. I think that they had to, they had to break from what they were doing. You know, you, the definition of insanity is (laughs) something that doesn't work and you keep doing it over and over and over again and hoping that it, uh, it's going to change. So, um, you know, the way that their lineup is, it's it's not easy for them to to split those pieces up. But I think that, especially with the playoffs pretty close, I think you need to know what you have on your lineup in, in terms of getting different looks at players in different situations. So I think that's fair. I, I just don't see any way that Tavares and Neilander aren't back together. And I wrote about this today, so it's, it's very much on my mind. I just don't think it makes sense to do it any other way. I, I get, I think the breakup made sense just to kind of, break it up and see, let them kind of get on their own for a bit, maybe get some confidence back. Well, you were suggesting like Nylander with Matthews and Marner, maybe. Yeah. uh, With Matthews and Bunting. Yeah. Like I, I just think it's so hard. Like you and I were having this conversation and I think it's interesting um, whether to break up that line, Matthews, Marner and Bunting to try to get more going elsewhere. Do you, do you see any justification for doing that? Just looking ahead to the playoffs, or that line is too good? Like you can't. Yeah, I, I kind of th- would try and mix things up while keeping that line together. I think is what I would try first because that line has been awesome. They've been fan- it's been such a weapon for them that 
Now, I mean, you want to have a backup plan if what happens, what's happened in the last two playoffs happens again. But, you know, you can make the case that's been the best line in the NHL this year. Yes. I, and and since like mid-January, those guys are like all top five in goals, like bunting even too. <laughs> it's it's nuts. But I, I guess what I, what I would worry about, James, is what you're talking about. It's like you get into the playoffs and like suddenly those guys are good, but like they're playing against a team that's like focused on stopping Tampa them. or whatever. And, yeah. yeah. And and suddenly like the the other lines, like that fourth line, we'll see. The third line, I don't think you can depend on for much offense. And it's like, well, where are you going to get the goals? And so I was just thinking like maybe you, you flip Marner and Bunting and you see if you can get Marner to, to really get Tavares going. Yeah. The one thing I was thinking, I was wondering if they could do was – try and create four lines that have something interesting and get Nylander playing with Kerfoot on like a, a different line than, than Tavares. I just don't think it really works because, I mean, there was that point early in the year when they had Marner, Matthews, and Nylander all on separate lines, but there were some differences. Number one, Marner was playing with Tavares. Nylander was playing really well at the time. So you felt like he could kind of drive his own line. And the idea I thought was like Matthews is just going to score no matter who he's with. So that line's going to soak up top attention. Um, but it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it, it feels a little different now. To, to Varus, I just wonder, you play him with like some scrappy guys that like go in the corner. Like every time he gets on the ice with bunting, it's like, oh yeah, there's something there that like, you got a guy that digs in the corners and, and, and kind of, it feels like, the, the style of the line works better for him than, than playing with Nylander. Well, he needs someone to go get him the puck. That's right. what he for sure needs. But, and that's not and, really Nylander's game, right? No, and that's and that's why you kind of need a third guy in the line who can well, go and get the puck. Don't more than Nylander, one guy that gets the puck? That's kind of what I wrote about and what Sheldon Keefe had talked about a couple weeks back is like the one thing he said that the Matthews Bunting Marner line does so well is they force so many turnovers that they don't allow the defense to get set and they're, they're constantly playing against defenses yeah. that are kind of scrambling and he said he basically said like Tavares and Nylander they're not they're not doing that enough and part of that I think is like Tavares is speed like Tavares isn't going to force those kinds of turnovers and Nylander when he's really good he he's great at that but he hasn't been good at that for a while and Kerfoot just isn't like he, he tries really hard but he's just not that big he's not that strong and so, like, I wonder, James, where I kind of landed is I, I wonder if eventually it's Mikheyev, Tavares, Nylander, because the way Mikheyev has looked these last few weeks, it's like, maybe he can be that guy. Maybe he can be the guy to go get them pucks and then allow Nylander to make plays, allow Tavares to make plays. Yeah, I would almost try, like, Mikheyev, Tavares, and, and like, Kasha when he gets back, if, he, sure. if he's com- yeah, if he's coming back, or or Blackwell, or like just like get some like energy guys playing with Tavares, start them in the offensive zone a lot. The only thing I don't like about that is I don't want to subtract from that third line because it's been so good. And that's I think the biggest problem with it is like number one, you're playing Neander less, and number two, it's like you rob what 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 was a useful line. Like if you can yeah. have that Mikheyev, Camp, Engvall line in the playoffs. That can be almost like, and I'm thinking about writing about this at some point, but that can almost be like their Goudreau, Coleman, Gord line in some ways. Like, I don't know if offensively it can yeah. do some of the same things, but it can have the same u- They've been surprisingly good offensively, though. Like, you know, Engvall yeah. has come a long way. Kampf has been way more offensively than we were expecting. And Mikheyev's, you know, the puck's dropping for him right now. 
Yeah, and their possession is has been like it's it's nuts given where they start most. Did of the you time. notice against the Bruins that they were using the fourth line in the D zone and not that third line? Well, and that's 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 basically having the owner on that line. Like you have to use it differently, and so mm-hmm. that's a perfect segue, James, into the fourth line. Uh, I know you've got a story coming on Wayne Simmons. Um, that fourth line was excellent in Boston. It has been a problem, obviously. Do you think they have the solution here with like Blackwell and eventually Kasha comes back? Like they'll have some flexibility. Like, do you see a solution somewhere in here? Yeah, I like Blackwell. And, you know, they got some of the, they have options too from the Marlies with Clifford and Robertson. And then they got the college kids coming in. And, you know, they're going to, they're going to be able to get some different looks at the fourth line. And I think that's, that's bad news for Simmons for sure. And maybe even for Spezza. I don't know, but like, you know, you, the Clifford Blackwell Spezza, you're playing against a good Bruins team. They just looked more dynamic. Even Clifford was, was forcing plays, you know, with his physicality and, you know, forcing turnovers and things like that. And they they just, they just need something from that line. So they get that goal. Like what, what a boost when Blackwell scores, uh, really early in the game, they just, you know, like Unfortunately, Simmons has something like two points in his last 27 games. He's not even gener- generating any like scoring chances or shots on goal lately, which is is more concerning, I think, even than the points. Yeah, so let's talk about that because he, I think it's like 32 straight games he hasn't scored, something like that, since like December 14. Um, and like you said, like now he's not generating anything. There comes a point when... This is just what happens, like, especially for a guy who played the way he did for so long and was so effective at it, that physically, like, you just don't have it anymore. Do you think that they're they're at that point with Simmons? So, I wrote about this. The story might not even be published by the time you people listen to this. So, still read it, though. You and I don't want to give away everything. But basically, it's just like, you know, it's it's one of those things that kind of sucks as a sports fan when there's a guy who's been good for so long and then all of a sudden they just don't have it anymore and that's what it feels like with him. I mean, he's been healthy scratched I think four of the last seven games. He, the, uh, the Boston game was the sixth time this season he's been healthy scratched. Coming into this year, he had never been healthy scratched in a regular season NHL game. 14 wow. years fourteen years in the league. It was the, That was the first time when he was healthy scratched in November. Um, and it, it reminds me a little bit of like, you know, like watching Joe Thornton last year. It's like he just yeah. he doesn't have he doesn't have it anymore. Or like Patrick Marlowe his last year in Toronto. It's like he's not he's like a, a fringe player. And you don't have to go back that far to Jonas when I, you know, I was doing the research for the story. Like four years ago, Wayne Simmons was playing over 18 minutes a game. He had 24 goals. He played on he was on a playoff, he was on a playoff team. He was really, really effective on the power play. And that's only four years ago with with Philadelphia. It's not that long ago. And the difference in this league between being 29 years old and being 33, it's it can be light years, especially with how good the kids are coming in. And the reality is, is that, you know, they, they could bring Matthew Nyes out of college at 19 years old, and he's probably better than Wayne Simmons now. Yeah, it's almost like when you get to that age, like even two years is almost like five or six. Because like I remember... When Thornton, when they signed Thornton, it was like I think it was like eight the eighteen nineteen season. He he had a really good year, and it's like well eighteen nineteen that's not that long ago. And it's like actually maybe it is like maybe it's maybe it really is for someone who's it's that like, it's like far dog in years. Their career. It's like dog yeah. years. It's like it's like this is actually 
a long time ago because you watched him with the Leafs and it's like, this guy might be like done or like really close to being done. It's like, and it's just you, uncomfortable. Man, yeah. I, do you find that with like, like running and stuff like that? Do you feel like you're like slower than you used to be? No. Well, it's no. Coming, it's coming for you. <laughs> but 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 I think what's interesting about You're it, James, thirty three, Jonas, is that right? Thirty four. I'm a little a little older, okay. um, but not much. Um, you mentioned Thornton, and we talk about Thornton. They never scratched Thornton, and this is different, obviously, because they've already scratched Simmons. But I think it's going to be interesting once the playoffs get near. If they're going to be willing to to scratch Simmons, I guess it's what you told me when I asked you this. Um, if the other guys are playing well, they will. Do you think it's yeah. that simple? Yeah. Like if they feel really good, like let's say the the combination they've got right now, whether it's Clifford or Nyes or whoever playing with Blackwell and Spezza, if that's rolling, then why would you change it? There's there. I don't think the Leafs are fucking around this year. Like I, I think they're going into they're going into the playoffs. They're, they're, it's not going to be about sentiment. It's going to be about what do they think gives them the best chance to win the series. They're like, they, they're not going to like worry about hurt feelings. They're going to worry about can we win this series? Yeah. Well, and you could argue that that should have always that. I mean, I'm sure it always was, but it it was a little odd that Spezza or not Spezza Thornton ever was scratched last year when it was like, yeah, it was painfully evident that he was struggling, especially yeah. after the injury that he had last year. I mean, he was on their number one power play unit to start the playoffs, which is kind of like remarkable now. Um, yeah. Uh, the only other thing I guess we could mention is is the the struggles of, of Neander and Tavares. Um, three five-on-five goals in the last 34 games for Tavares. Uh, you look at his productivity, you look at Neander's productivity, it's all down from the way it started Anything like you've seen with those two guys? I just don't think it's working. And I think that, as we were saying, I think you need like kind of more maybe physicality, energy, cycle kind of players to play with Tavares because he's still got the instincts around the net. He's still got the shot. You can see like those two games when they had him with Bunting and Marner, it's like this is a, di- it looks like a different player. I think you, so I think you got to cater the game to his strengths as much as you can. And I don't think that Nylander does that. So the tough thing is I just don't know how you compose the lineup in a way that makes sense if you move Nylander. That's why I said to yes. you, like, like, do you play Nylander with Matthews and Marner sometimes? Like, maybe Nylander's on the fourth line, but then you... But then I don't... It's not really fair yeah, to Yeah, I don't like that. You know, what, yeah. you know what it's a lesson for, like, moving ahead, James? That, that they need to have a little bit more versatility on amongst their bottom six forwards. Like, you can't have so many guys who can only play in certain positions. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like you you can't have Spezza and Simmons and like all these guys no, who like yeah. can play really, in very... You, yeah. yeah, that's part of what I put in the Simmons column is like not having any flexibility on that fourth line with like guys you can't you can't send to the minors and you don't have any extra forwards and like it, it, it hurts you. Like you need to have as you're saying, different looks. The other thing too is that the Leafs all season haven't had an, uh, a player at forward who's on an entry-level contract who A, doesn't make a lot and, and is is ineligible for waivers and there's just not a lot of flexibility. You look around the league, I mean, I, they've had Robertson for a few games, but the Leafs need more, they need at least like one or two young forwards on entry-level contracts every year that they could just shuttle up and down and like 
mix yeah. into their mix into their their lines when they needed a, a boost of energy from from a young guy because most teams around the league have that. Well, it's like I'm looking at uh, Tampa's like the bottom of their lineup, and it's uh, like yeah. their third. How many yeah. entry level contracts do they have in their forward group? Well, let's see. I I think Ross Colton would be entry level. I think he might actually be the only one. Well, yeah. they probably would. They would have would have had more before the deadline, and they brought in Hagel and and uh, Nick Paul and Nick Paul. But but it's like you look at their bottom their their fourth line. It's it's Maroon, Bellamar, and Perry. And like you can kind of move some of those guys around. Not not so much with Bellamar and, and Maroon, but like Perry can kind of play anywhere. So and he did in the playoffs. And he last did. Year. Yeah, that was one I, I I really did not understand why the Leafs did not sign him, and I, that is not hindsight. He was on my list of guys like for the exact role that I thought they needed. Uh, he he made my list, and Simmons did not. And I looked at Simmons. It's just like he was more like you watch that playoff with Dallas, and it's like this guy still can do stuff. There's like he, more gas in the tank there. Yeah. yeah, perfect way to put it. All right, let's take a break and let's get to the pod bag. All right, James, pod bag time reminder to visit your local restaurants i'm trying to figure out what i'm going to get for takeout in the next couple of days maybe some indian food maybe visit my bakery well lots of good indian places over in my neighborhood so are there lots of options for you to choose from if you go that route uh the, i don't the problem is when you have little kids they don't want to try anything new so with takeout we often get get stuck getting the same thing over and over and over again so what's like their go-to pizza yeah pizza yeah but and then they're also even so particular they want like the same brand and now they're down to where they just want a cheese pizza and it's like oh my god i can't believe i'm ordering cheese pizza like no toppings on it at all it's like <laughs> you know it's funny i do that from time to time and really? i think the reason oh. i do that i think when i was when i was a kid remember in in the home alone movie when he orders the cheese pizzas waiting for him in the limo Right. And and once when you have that, it, I don't know. There's just something nostalgic about it. And when you get a good cheese pizza, like I remember at one point, I got a slice uh, from this place called North of Brooklyn uh, on the one on Queen Street, and it was like the best slice of cheese pizza I've ever had. And I was like, oh my god, this is no, unbelievable. I like my pizza like loaded with a whole bunch of stuff on it. So like when I there's like I've had to eat some cheese pizza because the kids don't always eat what they're supposed to and whatever. And it's like, man, this is just like. It's like eating a plain piece of bread or something. <laughs> you got to try the cloak pizza. Uh, CJ and I had the cloak pizza when the, the Leafs were in Hamilton. It lives up to the the pictures he posts. It's legit. Does he have his own like pizza oven? Uh, I believe he's getting one. I don't know if it's active yet. Anyway. Cloak is a man of many, many multitudes. Yeah, he's going to the World Cup. Woo! Qatar. Okay, so some of the questions are for Chris, and we're going to hold a lot of those until next week. Uh, how about how about this one? We've talked about this a little bit. I'll just throw it back at you again. Uh, do you think the Leafs should re-sign Labushkin, and what should that contract look like? And then someone and then someone replies and says, "Ditto for Giordano." Too early. Like <laughs> I, 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 we need to see what happens in the playoffs because uh, yeah, their success like there could be ramifications like across the roster like who who knows right i think that there's a scenario where you retool the defense a little bit and maybe maybe it's hall or maybe it's muzzin or you move out someone who's been around for a little while and then you try and keep a giordano or a or a labushkin and like kind of change the the composition of your blue line a little bit for next season 
I think that's interesting. Like if you if there's a scenario where you move Muzzin and you re-sign Giordano for three to four, like three million, four million, I don't know what it would cost. Like he is thirty eight. You got to be careful. And like you do have Rasmus Sandin to consider, but I we'll see. What do you well, think? Well, Giordano is willing to take a discount and be one of the. I can't imagine Spezza. I can't. I was going to say I can't imagine he's willing to play for Spezza money, which is league minimum. But it, you know, if he's willing to come in at for a bit of a haircut, given his age and everything, that would be that would be a win for the Leafs for sure. Okay, Dylan wants to know. It's funny, you know, like we're a month from the playoffs. People are asking questions about next season and stuff. <laughs> uh, Dylan wants to know who of the following do you see playing meaningful minutes for the Leafs next season? Nick Robertson, Abruzzese, Abruzzese, uh, yeah. Ma- Matthew Nyes, uh, Joey Anderson, Josh Hosang. Do you think? Do you think Nick Robertson, Nyes, some some of these young guys are going to be on the team next year? If I was guessing from that group, I'd probably say Robertson. I mean, Nyes is obviously physically ready, I think, to play. But like the jump is not nothing from college to the NHL. Well, he's only played one year too, right? Like that can often be difficult. And I I I hate it when the guys jump too early from college. You know, we've seen it before with with players that do it, and then they just end up not even succeeding in the AHL. And it's like, boy, it would have you probably should have just stayed in college for a little while longer. Yeah, you know what? I don't know why it made me think of this, but I was talking to Cloak about Nyes, and it, they're not the same thing. But do you remember when when Victor Stahlberg came out? Do mm. you remember him? Yep. And he was like this big. Like he was fast. physically fast and it was like he had this training camp where he was just like unbelievable. It's like this guy's ready to play. Actually, he had a rookie camp, I think, where it's like this guy's ready to play in the NHL. And like he he was okay. And then like he kind of just petered out. And I don't think Nyes is that. I think he's better. Um, but we'll see. Like he, Stahlberg was like a, I think he was like a candidate for the Hobie Baker. Like he had really good college numbers. Like it's just a different league, you know. Stolberg stayed in college longer though, right? Like he didn't he jump did. right away. Yes. He didn't jump right away. Didn't he play like three years or something? He did. He played three years. Yeah, yeah. And and like that's a, that's another difference. Like Nyes did this when he was a freshman. Yeah, and the played for with, the Olympic team. The thing you'll see with that fans will see with Nyes is like physically he's he's all the way there. Like he's. You know, even though he's 19, he's got like the body of an NHL player already. So yeah, like right away. That's that's part of why you can dominate in college hockey is if you're built like that when you're, you know, young. Well, and, and that's a big difference with him and Abruzzese. Abruzzese is tiny. Like if when he plays in the NHL, he'll be one of the smallest players right away. Yeah. Well, and he, he even said as much that Nyes is just like a different physical specimen from him. This would be a great question for CJ, and we will also ask him next week, but I'll ask it to you too, Jonas. Uh, Jordan says, do you think the Leafs should go short-term with Sandine and Lilgren, one or two-year deal, or try and get them signed a bit longer, like three or four years? I think it's going to depend on what the term looks like. It's If they give them three or four years, you're going to have to up the dollar amount quite a bit, and then you get into a question of, okay, you're, you're let's say you're, you're paying Sandine and Lilgren, I don't know. 3 million or more. All of a sudden you're going to have to move other players out to create that salary space in order to do that. Yeah, I think Sandine's in a different bracket than Lilligren to me. But one thing that James I have been wondering with Sandine is with Riley on one pair, how does how does it work like moving forward for their top 4? Like can Sandine and whoever or Riley and whoever like be their go-to pair for defending top lines like 
Mm. It's something I've been wondering about. Like, even now, like, they bring in Giordano, and it's like he's better fit to play that kind of role. I don't know. Like, it's just something... Well, they're going to need... They're going to need defensemen like that, right? That they either pair with. Yeah. So maybe that's what it is. You pair someone like that with Sandine or I don't know. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Your two left side D are, are more offense yeah. oriented. But Sandine's yeah. still so young though. Like I think he's going to develop. You know, I wouldn't say that he's been bad defensively this year. No, no. I think he's smart. It's just like he, when you're not that big, it's it's just harder. But again, like we talked about Brody, he's not that big and he's figured it out. And Sandine can probably do the same. Curtis wants to know, do you think Matthew Nyes will be a lock for the second line? Or is this all rumors and hype? I mean, like, probably slow the hype train a little bit, but yeah. is he a lock for the second line at some point in his career? <laughs> Potentially. I mean, the thing I would say about Nyes is it was a very good pick. I don't really understand why he slipped to the end of the second round. And that's what some people were saying, too, when we called around on him after the Leafs made that pick. I think you should say it looks like a really good pick until he actually has a career. Like, it's hard to say if it's a good pick or not. To be I fair, mean, end of the he second round, like, like who, oh, but who knows? The, like, I don't know. Well, I know that it, he's lighting up college as a nineteen-year-old. That's a pretty good sign. Sure, it looks like a really good pick. I'm, I'm looks. just being, I'm just being a little bit bolder than you and saying that it's a good pick. Yeah, it's allowed. How many guys do you think have played from that draft already? I'm just looking at it from the nice draft. Yeah. Uh. One. I think it's like 10 or something. Is that right? One, two, three. It looks like it's only four. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's weird. Like, this is probably one of the only drafts, like, got to be in the last, like, 20 years where the first two picks didn't play right away. Yeah, well, it's been a weird couple of years with COVID and everything. Like, the development of players has been... That's one of the things with Nyes is that he had his draft year, he had COVID and the first half of his season just wasn't very good. And the second half of his season was unbelievable. And, you know, the Kyle Dubas and the Leafs saw that and that's part of why they picked him. All right. Indeed. Uh, Blake says, if Mrazek were to play relatively well or have a 905 the rest of the way, do you think the Leafs keep him next year or is he still an off-season cap dump? Well, he's hurt again, so... You know, it's it's too bad for him. I mean, what a what a awful year he's had and awful luck he's had. But, you know, the thing is, if the Leafs do want to unload that contract in the offseason, it makes it even more difficult if he's barely played, which is looks like it's going to be the case. Well, and he barely played the year before that. Like, he played yeah. 12 games the year before that. Like, so what will this total be for two years? He's had groin injuries in the past too, right? Like, I think the thing you worry about is that this becomes like a chronic thing for him. Yeah, you know what all this reminds me of, James? And I, I, this is kind of how I think of his career. Like, I just don't think he's reliable. And that's just what I think. Like, I just think he's unreliable. Like, I, injuries are not his fault, but incons- like, he's just always kind of been either hurt or inconsistent. Or it's like, there's just always been, I don't know, something. Yeah, so the last two years, James, he's played, he will have played 32 games if he doesn't play again this year, which he there's a chance, obviously, he will. Eric has a good question for you. He says, what's Muzzin's timeline to return? Given the lineup, is there any cap work needed to accommodate him? I guess I can answer the second one. You can answer the cap part. Uh, so he's been practicing with the team for a while now. But he's aside from like the very beginning, he's been in red, which means don't hit me, basically. Um, <laughs> so they are taking Chris, this like... Chris Rock needed to wear a red jersey the other night. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They are taking this like 
very slow. Like he's already missed 17 games. I, I can't see him playing Thursday. Uh, maybe he plays Saturday, but like they are going as slow as they possibly can just to be like absolutely certain that he's okay. Like he could come back any day now, but it, yeah, it's, it's, they're being very, very, very careful. I mean, the same thing with, with Kasha James, like I was going to mention this in, in my Monday story. I can't recall a situation like this with Kasha where he hasn't been diagnosed with a concussion. I don't think is basically what they've said. And yet they've just held him out just because they're like, we're not taking any chances. Well, they even said that Kasha wanted to come back right away. In the game. Yeah. yeah. And when like I was he's told- missed four games, James, now he's missed four games. He has not practiced at all with the team. Um, so it's like he, he could miss like a bunch more time. It seems they're not saying a whole lot. Like I know that, that Sheldon Keefe's been asked and we don't get a chance to talk to, to management or other people about Kasha, at least on the record. Um, I wonder if, if this is just the Leafs being like, hold on, something's not right here with the, what's happening with Kasha, where he, he takes these bumps and then he's, you know, kind of falling all over the ice and everything. Like, maybe it's just it's just good sense for them to investigate it a little bit more thoroughly, what's going on there. Yeah, and just be really careful and not bring him back to him soon because, like, he still has a lot of steps, in theory, to get through before he plays. Like, he still needs to get... Th- through a full practice and like see how that feels and not have any symptoms like that was scary the other thing too i've noticed with kasha is that when he misses time and comes back he's not the same player and it takes him a while to get to like when he's at his his peak he's point really high impact player so it's going to take him some time to onboard the the cap question is interesting because if Morazic is out the rest of the regular season which it kind of looks like that their their cap situation is they're okay they're gonna they're gonna be okay because, you know, his 3.8 can go on LTIR the rest of the season. Uh, Muzzins comes off, and there's a bit of a difference there. But the Leafs haven't been using Muzzins' full contract on LTI so far. So, they should be fine. To They're not going to have to they're not gonna have to make any uh, really painful moves. And the other thing, too, is I can't remember if we talked about it or not, but Abruzzese and, and Nyes, their contracts are pro-rated. So, Abruzzese, they, they sign him. They only have to pay him, it's like $140,000. So it's a relatively easy amount of money to fit in under the cap. Hmm. Smart. Interesting. I'm just looking at it, James. Kasha has missed how many separate instances? So he missed three games with an upper body injury in November. He missed three games for protocol, which isn't anything. Uh, four games with an upper body injury and now four games with this latest thing. But I think this is the right way to handle it. Like you wrote a big, great story about his battle from this stuff. And it's just like, I don't know. You got to think about his life too. Nick S says years ago, manage mentioned it was better to draft high skill and then bring in toughness, which is cheaper to trade for. Is, is the team we are seeing the product of this plan or has there been a changes in philosophy? I think that, that that makes some sense, especially if you're picking, you know, late in the first round or, or you know, your, some of your later picks, you're going to want to probably aim. Like if you're picking a big, tough kid in the third or fourth or fifth round, the chances that you're going to connect on that pick feel pretty low. Well, and the Leafs did that for a little bit, and it didn't materialize into anything. 
Yeah, well, he means like this management team since Kyle Dubas has taken over as GM. I think there has been evolution on that, James. Like, I think in the beginning, there was a little bit of like, not dismissiveness to it, but yeah, like, I'm just looking at their lineup in 1819, and that's the first Dubas year, I believe. Um, And it's like, their fourth lines, there's none of that. It's like Ennis, Lindholm, Goche. It's like guys like that. Patan and like remember that game when they dressed Patan? What was it? Patan, Ennis, and Trevor Moore maybe on the fourth line. Waterbug and Mike line. Ba- yeah, and Mike Babcock came out after the game and said like he did a disservice to the team basically by dressing that line. And I think there has been an evolution. <laughs> I think they, I, I think they basically see in that playoff time like that it the game is different and like on defense as well. Like that you need a little bit more heavy and edge and whatever adjectives you want to use like i think there has been evolution in that for sure it's interesting they're trying to like graft the two elements together and it doesn't that's part of like the wayne simmons thing too right like that's that's the element they're looking for from him but you know or probably kyle clifford too don't you think like there's obviously something yeah yeah there's something that they really like about kyle clifford and what he brings there i think that's exactly what it is i mean they was it a two-year contract that they just gave him yeah and, and like basically for league minimum. So I, I guess that Kyle Clifford's probably come to them and said, you know, I'm okay with, with spending some time with the Marlies and going back and forth the way that he has this year. I mean, it's not the worst thing for him because like if he didn't play here, he would probably be in the AHL or like doing the same thing. And like, he'd have to have two different, yeah, you know what I mean? Like he, well, the AHL he's city he's would be local. somewhere else. He's, you know, he's from around here. So, you know, if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to be splitting between the AHL and the NHL, Go somewhere where you know that management likes you. They're not going to be afraid to use you. Sometimes you're going to stay, be able to stay in your city, in the city with the young family and everything. And yeah, it exactly. makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. But <laughs> James, I should add that will be an interesting thing for them to figure out with Simmons next year. By the way, like he has another year at nine hundred. Uh, Kevin B. Uh, last year, Keith said he didn't care about line matchups, given how successful his top line has been. And now that he's had another year of experience, do you think he'll change his philosophy when they play in this year's playoffs? It's probably a mistake to say that going into the Montreal series, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't know that like that wasn't the series that they had to worry about that. Like if they play Tampa or if they play Florida or even if they play Boston, like he's well, they had to worry about something be- against Montreal. Like something about their approach didn't work. But I mean, like, there's not, there wasn't like a line where you're like super worried about. Whereas this, those opponents, like, you're going to want either the Matthews line or that camp line to kind of handle those responsibilities. And that's why the camp line is useful uh, and why I think they need to get it back together is like that group can kind of handle some of that stuff, like the crappy jobs of just starting in the D zone all the time. Ryan B says, Asks, what's more likely, Kerfoot re-signs or Kerfoot is traded this summer? Well, Kerfoot doesn't need to re-sign this summer. He's looking another year down the line. <laughs> I told you I told you the questions are very forward-looking. Like maybe we're yeah, the I podcast. noticed that during our live room. Like Most of the questions were about what happens if this happens. And people I get just, it. Like, people really like the... Uh, I, sometimes I see people complain on social media that we write about contracts and things like that too often and but i you know there's a real there's an audience for it you know people are people want to know what comes next you know they want to talk about the and analyze how the team could change and evolve which is so much it's a weird time to talk about it though honestly with like the playoffs coming soon but we're kind of in this lull period where we're waiting for the the rest of the regular season to play out 
Yeah, so much has to happen for us to see what happens with the Kerfoot. Obviously, if you're bringing him back, you're not bringing him back for that much money, I wouldn't think. Well, he's going to be UFA and he's got further. a lot of points. And like, I think that you're probably going to get priced out on a guy like Kerfoot. Yeah, I mean, like two years from now, so 23, 24, the only forwards who are signed, if my chart here is right, Matthews, Tavares, Marner, Nylander, and Kyle Clifford. Big red dog. <laughs> that's a, that's a funny group. Always always there when you need them. Yeah, more questions about bringing back Labushkin and Giordano. It's interesting, you know, like the defense was like a five alarm fire for a lot of the year. And then now everyone, then do they get the two new guys and everyone loves what the, the mix that they've got? Well, let me ask you a question on that. Let's say everyone is healthy. Who do you play uh, in the playoffs? Labushkin or Sandine? Uh, I think it's probably going to depend for me if Sandine gets in some regular season games here because I would hate to throw a young guy like that in with. Okay, Odin. so let's say he does. So then, uh, then it then it comes down to what your pairings are. Okay, well, your three left shots that are for sure playing are, I would think, Riley, Giordano, Muzzin. Okay. So I would think if you're playing Sandine, you're playing him on the right. So couldn't Hall be the one that sits instead of sitting Labushkin or Sandine? He could, but I I don't see the justification for that. Like I think he's he's yeah. played better, and I think he's better fit for kind of what they need. So to me, it's like yeah, well, you could I'm just for sure make that argument. The hole that you're going to have is going to be on the third pair with Muzzin, and we've seen how Muzzin and Hall hasn't really worked for a lot of the year. Maybe you go back to that and see if it looks better now. But I could see Muzzin Sandine potentially being your third pair. Yeah, it's just like he hasn't played the right, like he played one game on the right all year. So that would be asking a lot. I don't know. It's interesting. If the choice was between Muzzin or Labushkin and Sandine, I could see it being Labushkin, at least initially, just based on what they think about the playoffs. And that's really interesting because like Sandine does so many unique things that they also need. It would be like a really interesting conversation to hear in the coach's room to see how they would figure that out. Part of it might be, Jonas, like if Lilgren's playing as well as he is with Giordano, like they might not want to take him out of the lineup or break that pair up. <laughs> there you're not. I don't you even... Gotta, you got another player in the... Brain. You got another player in the mix. How would that work, though? So you'd have... Sheard, I, I no, know. I don't. I don't see that, James. I don't. I'm just <laughs> oh, sorry. Played, you know, Lilgren's played really well. So sure, yeah, give him credit. There, there is a movement in the fan base that he stays in the lineup in the playoffs. There is a like a, a an over exaggeration of stats with Lilgren. I think for sure, because if you look at all those expected goals numbers, he's like the best defenseman in the league, and that is he is not. <laughs> Newsflash. Sometimes, sometimes it happens with the third. I mean, there were, there was a big thing in Dallas with Julius Honka was was a guy that you know <laughs> yeah. people were. It, it's happened a few times where you get a third pair D that, that people Travis Dermott. People get just excited about their expected goals and it doesn't end up coming to fruition for them to be a top four. Not saying. I mean, it still could with Logan. I mean, this is the best that we've seen him look in the NHL right now. So, and he's young. So we're not like dismissing him. We're just saying let's. We're just saying he's not the best defenseman in the NHL. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Tim says, the, the Leafs seem to be one of only a few teams in the league that don't stand up for one another in a traditional sense. Is that a coaching decision? I think it's a personnel. But I think that they've gotten a I don't think that's bit, true either. They've gotten better at that. You know, I, 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 that was 
you could have said that two or three years ago, and I think had more of a point than than this season. And even you know, I was reading the comments on on Fluto's story, who Fluto covers the Bruins at the Athletic. I was reading the comments, and the Bruins fans were saying, "Oh, this Leafs team like pushes back more than we've seen before." And I I think that that's probably right. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Like I think when you bring in certain guys, like I I find Bunting is really. Like when anybody comes near Matthews, even though he's like way smaller than Matthews, he's like the first guy in. And now I've started to see it in reverse where if someone's kind of messing with bunting, which seems to happen every night because he annoys everyone. Now Matthews is coming in. It's like almost like it's a little bit contagious that way. It's interesting that how like those guys have been become so close, like as friends and line mates and everything. It's not something I would have necessarily predicted. <laughs> there, there's been that throughout hockey history where like the the I don't love this term, but the the rat, you know, often is like friends with the star kind of thing. Like there's a yeah, symbiotic. Well, Tidomi, Matt yeah, Tidomi, Matt was a big one. Yeah, there's a symbiotic. I was thinking like Wayne Gretzky and Semenko or, or you know whatever. Like there's there's there's. I remember Gino Ojek and Pavel Bure were really tight. I remember they in Vancouver back in the day they would put them on the same line sometimes, and it was just hilarious to watch. So I, I think that to answer Tim's question, I think that the Leafs do push back more now than they did you know two three years ago. And you get you get Labushkin in there, you get Bunting, you you get. You know, but I I get the sense that Blackwell is going to be a guy that's kind of like that. They they're just adding a little bit more of that to the the roster. Yeah, and Giordano's not going to take shit either. Boy, there are lots of questions about next season. Giannis, I think I got that name right. Giannis. Giannis? Well, it starts with an I. So, could you start Giannis with an I? I'm sorry if I butchered your name, Giannis. Uh, under what scenario could the Leafs trade for Chikrin? Keep Giordano, Labushkin. Uh, Mickey, Don't. who is Mikheyev, uh, up, upgrade the goalie position and the left wing position in the offseason. <laughs> I think they're going to run, wow. run out of cap space in this scenario. Uh, the cap is going up $1 million next year, so it is not going up $7 million to accommodate all of this. Uh, but he says, you know, can you see the Leafs trade Nylander to get better in all those other areas? It's, it's, it's too early to talk about pulling the I mean we don't know what if they go on a run in the playoffs you're probably not going to be talking about changing a whole bunch of things with the roster right no ENT wants to know with a pack schedule in April and an uncertain benefit of moving up in the standings are we going to see the Leafs use load management well does it count with Simmons not playing as much is that load management sort of no no do you think that they rest Spezza a few times down the stretch they probably should yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I guess you would consider that load management. I, I mean, it, I, I think it would be more load management if you rest like the bigger guys. What about like you they could I mean? they could rest like Brody or Giordano when they're going to have all these all these defensemen? Maybe Muzzin doesn't play every night when he comes back. Yeah, I mean it's getting interesting now with Muzzin with the time plane. Like he's basically got April to come back and play, and you said there's 16 games left. And so there'll be 15 in April. Some, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, 16 left, yeah. So it's not like a ton of time. Like, And it, who knows when he's going to come back. It's hard. Like, James, like, I think we underrate how hard it is when you miss a lot of time to come back. And like... You can see it. You like... The, some guys can do it, but most players, it, it, it really takes some time. I mean, look at when Matthews came back at the start of the year. Like, he was just not the same player at all. Yeah. It's amazing how forgotten that is now that he, like, he well, really first, struggled like, and six wasn't six or himself. seven games were not very good. 
Yeah. And since then, he's just been like a rocket ship. But that was really most striking to me, James, with Zach Hyman, because like when he came back for the playoffs last year, like he wasn't the same. And it's like if Zach Hyman is off when he misses a bunch of time, like how is it for other guys? Rocket ship? I get it. I get the reference. You're saying he's going to win the rocket? Actually, if I did that, that was unintentional. You did it. I noticed. Genius. Uh, Frank says, does anyone else notice the number of wasted power play opportunities that Morgan Riley's involved with? Imagine they used a point guy who delivered a decent shot after wow. the forwards execute the setup. I mean, Riley's been the power. Last I checked, am- they had the number one power play. In the power play has been amazing this year. So, you know, there's a lot of people don't. They're so much further ahead of everyone else too, James. Like, so they're first at 29.3%. Number two is New York at 26.8. All right. What do you think? One or two more here? Sure. Ryan wants to know, do you think the Leafs' third line can be a shutdown line in the playoffs? Like, could you use that line against other teams' big guns? Like, would you have confidence in that? No. <laughs> uh, unless it was like, if, unless Camp and Engel and were playing down there. You? Well, no. The, he means the third line as it's constituted right now. Like, could you use that against... Braden Point or in Kucherov or like the fourth know, line Barkov or well he's saying the fourth line isn't he no 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 he's saying the third line like the the camp line oh then yeah for sure that's the third line right yeah did, I thought we, I thought you said the fourth line did I I don't think I did well if I did I misread the question uh let me find one more good one to close us out here Bang Bang wants to know, good old Bang Bang, he's always asking questions. Why don't teams like the Leafs pressure the NHL for things like a soft cap? They have considerable weight to throw around and the hard cap does nothing for them. Do they have considerable weight to throw around? Do they? Jonas, do you think they have outsized influence in in league circles? I don't think so. I think they're outnumbered by the teams that that want a hard cap. Significantly outnumbered. Who would those teams be? Like the lower, the smaller yeah, markets? Yeah, I mean, teams that can't spend more than the $81.5 million that the cap is right now. Teams that want that cost certainty, that want the escrow, that want the revenue sharing. There's a lot but of that's, them. But that's why a soft cap would make a lot of sense. Because then a team like the Leafs could exceed it and pay a price for exceeding it. Or you could just make them pay the revenue sharing price without allowing them to exceed the cap and spend more than you. Which yeah, is what the actually, way it is now. I'm talking about a luxury tax, but yeah. Well, that's what that's what he means by soft cap. Yeah, but but like the Leafs pay that huge penalty right now that goes to like Arizona and, and these other teams, and they are using it great. <laughs> I mean, some some teams that draw revenue sharing are having good seasons. You know, Carolina would be one. You know, there yeah. are, there are there are smaller markets that 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 make good use of that money. Nashville. Who do you think does the most with the least? Is it Carolina? So I'm thinking, like, uh, who are the Tampa Bay Rays of the NHL? Yeah, I think Carolina is a good example. I mean, smart management group. Um, you know, they're not always spending to the cap, although sometimes they do. Uh, let me see if there anyone else. I mean, Florida is not a big market, but they have an owner that isn't afraid to lose money, so they they tend to spend like they're a bigger market than than they actually are. You know what? Most of the teams, basically, almost every team that's going to make the playoffs this year is is a cap team. You know, there aren't there aren't a lot of Carolina's like one of the only low revenue teams. Nashville, I guess Nashville, maybe James. 
Yeah, they do. Nashville does a really good job. I mean, David Poyles. I didn't expect that the Predators were going to be where they are this year. Yeah. Well, some of their big guys actually have had big years and they have a good goalie. So Really good goaltending. Yeah, yeah. Turns out that matters. Well, all I, I got to do is find a UC Saros. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun. That was a long one, James. I wish CJ was here. Yeah, he will be. <laughs> uh, so he, he, if you haven't signed up for The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash leaf report. It's a good time now with playoffs coming. March Madness is is happening. Are you into the March Madness? I Probably am. Not. I am not into March Madness at all. I don't know. Oh, anything. baby. I don't know anything about it. I know I know that Duke is a team that exists. They are. They're in the final four. There's a big matchup this weekend. The thing that slightly interests me is that there's more Canadians playing in the NCAA than than there used to be. So there's like at least a little bit of flavor to it. Yeah, there's I a kid that- Matherin who's gonna go in the top ten. I think another guy who's gonna go in the top ten of the draft this year too. What if they let Canada compose a super team of all their universities and put it in the tournament. Like, wouldn't that be that that's, I would like to see that they would get killed. <laughs> but what if it became uh, a thing and like p- people started to want to like play for that team and you know, they're always going to want to play for like the good American programs. But I, there, I wish there was a scenario where there was like one school that could play NCAA and like be relevant in the tournament. Cause then I would have a team to cheer for and I would be more interested. Like, I just don't care about Gonzaga and Duke and, like why would I care about watching those teams I don't know because they're good actually there's another kid and like there's there's Canadians like you said on these teams like there's this kid uh, Shaden Sharp who I don't think actually has played this year he's from London Ontario and he's supposed to go in the top 10 too so two Canadians in the top 10 maybe James exciting woo and SGA do you know who SGA is no okay I've kind of Kelly Olenek's my guy because he's from my hometown so you know he's still around he's still kicking yeah, I know. He's uh, so like if he was playing in the March Madness, I'd be all about it. I'd be watching. He once did play in March Madness. Yeah, there you go. SGA, by the way, is from Toronto. Shea Gilgis Alexander. I, I only know SDA. <laughs> he he is not in the NBA or the NHL. I would like to see him play in March Madness and see how it went. All right, that seems like a good point to leave it. Uh, so the Leafs are on the road next week. They're in Florida. They're in big back-to-back Tampa, Florida on Monday, Tuesday, and then they play in Dallas. Interesting times, James. Interesting times. We'll see what happens with the division. Like, they can make this really interesting with the division if they keep winning. And I have one last thing to say. Don't watch Licorice Pizza. That's what I have to say. Oh, yeah, you didn't like that. Now, can I ask you, um, are you a Scream fan or no? Scream or no? The, the movie series? Yeah, the first movie. Yeah, I thought the first movie was great. Thought so, thank you. But there's a re- there's a remake or something. Have you seen that? No, there's been like six remakes. But there was one that just came out, I think, just now. So Yeah, they brought back all the old band. <laughs> that always works. <laughs> Nev Campbell's going to be like in a wheelchair at some point. Like, Scream 17! <laughs> yeah, oh, the, the guy in the I mask is coming. He's I mean, James, the- they just made like another Halloween with Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> like, how many years ago did the first one come out? Oh, it was like, it was in 1980. It's like, that. the first one's even before my time. I think it was probably the 70s. But, there you know, you the go. guy in the mask is going to be like in a motorized wheelchair <laughs> and he, he's going to be gaining on Nev Campbell and everyone's going to be screaming and scream 17. 
Final Destination 19. I haven't seen those movies. Okay. All right. Thanks, James. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Jonas.